I'm uh, having a little bit of seminary throwback because I actually was a handbell ringer when I was in seminary one time. And uh, you'll also need to know that I was a part of what we had back then was like this creative movement kind of thing that they've outlawed or banned since I got on this stage and did it, whatever it was I was doing. But it is uh, great to be here with you and just so honored to have this time to share a little bit of my heart. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone who totally took you by surprise? Like this person, you didn't expect them to have the depth of impact on your life and they end up having that kind of impact? Well, for me, that was Ed Piper. I met Ed probably about seven years ago. Now, I had heard of him for a couple of years, but I met him about seven years ago. His son had come to our church and given his life to Christ, was dramatically changed, came down with a pretty uh, life-threatening um, brain tumor and was going in for the surgery. And his dad, who he was sort of estranged from, Ed shows up, and before going back to surgery, his son led his dad to Christ right there in the hospital room. Well, the way I got to know Ed is Ed was a part of my husband's life group, and they met at our house, and Ed was never on time. He was always early, which meant I got to hang out with Ed. And we would share and we would talk, and as I got to know him, um, the reality of his rescue, the reality that Christ had saved him, forgiven him, and set his life on a new path was for him the best deal ever. As a matter of fact, when you would greet Ed at church or even when I would greet him in my home, I'd say, hey, Ed, how's it going? He would say this nine times out of ten. He would say, oh, Ellen, what a deal. What a deal. I got to do Ed's funeral last year, and um, it was such an honor for me. As the, the chapel was filled with people, you see, Ed had had quite an impact in the recovery community in Lexington. And as I got to know people and was greeting them and just chatting a little bit, I found out that they knew Ed and how they introduced Ed to me was an indication of when they knew Ed in his life. If they said, oh yeah, I knew Buddy, that meant they grew up with him when he was just young, just a little kid. If they said, oh yeah, Limestone, Eddie and I, we were like this, that means they hung out with him at the pool hall that he owned downtown on Limestone Street. If they said, oh gosh, easy Eddie and I go way back, I will not fill in the details there for you. If they said, yeah, he was a friend of mine because I'm a friend of Bill W's, I knew they were a part of the AA community. As a matter of fact, the, the AA meeting that happened the night, the day after Ed passed away, um, the, the group formed a circle, as, as is tradition, prayed the Lord's Prayer, and at the end of the meeting, the mantra that, that we say together is, keep coming back, it works if you work it, well, that 
that day, they didn't say their traditional mantra. Instead, after the Lord's Prayer, they grabbed hands, and together they said, what a deal. What a deal. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, is true. That Christ Jesus, Paul says, has made me his own. That, my friend, is a deal you never want to recover from. What a deal. For me, it was when I was 12 years old, sitting on a folding metal chair as uh, a Sunday school teacher of sorts shared the gospel. And, and I'd grown up in the church, but you know how it happened. It probably happened for you the same way. All of a sudden, you heard it. You heard it. And when I heard the truth, the deal that was being offered to me, that Jesus wanted to forgive my sin, live in my heart, and, and be my forever friend, that was a deal I said yes to at age 12. At the University of Tennessee... I uh, had my life sort of set, the career path, you know, graduate. I was going to move to Nashville, teach elementary school, find a husband, quit teaching elementary school. But my plan was interrupted when I heard a woman preach, a woman who had given her life to something called full-time Christian service. Now, you need to know something. I had never up until this time heard a woman preach. And I had never known there was something called full-time Christian service. What I did know was that when I heard her talk about it, my heart was strangely warmed. The only catch was, this woman was a nun, and that was not a deal I was going for. <laughs> But I realized at that moment that Christ had not only saved me, but was calling me to serve him with my life. That Christ had not only saved me from something, he had saved me for something. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's why you're here. Not just being saved from, but saved for the work of Christ in and through your life. And now, after 41 years of knowing Christ and 30 years in ministry, can I tell you something? The deal is sweeter. It is so much sweeter. Like, the younger you are, the more excited I get for you. Because you have so much to look forward to. It is quite a deal. And because of that, our call then, Paul makes clear in verse 14, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's something I have learned in life and in ministry. In order to press forward, you are going to have to learn to press through. Can I hear an amen on that? If you don't know that, you have not lived life yet. In order to press on, you are going to have to develop the resiliency that comes in Christ to press through. Now, in this room, there are some of you who can run circles around me when it comes to experience in ministry. There are others of you that are young like I was when I came to seminary. 
But I've learned that we learn through experience, and it doesn't have to always be our own. So I hope that my experience of 30 years now will encourage you when we look at what it means to press through so we can press on. So what I'd love to do you is just do with you, just give you kind of four tidbits from my life, whatever they're worth, take them, uh, on how you actually do this and what you'll have to press through to press on. Number one is this if you're taking notes. You're going to have to press through quitting and press on towards the goals. Press through quitting and press on towards the goal. The goal, Paul says, is a prize. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a prize. Like if there's a prize attached to something, not just a grade, like professors take note. I mean, candy works wonders in the classroom. Like you offer a prize and I am in. The prize here, Paul says, is the upward calling, which is always where your call takes you. Upward, forward, glory to glory. I need you to know uh, uh, my first ministry position was in a, a great church, a United Methodist Church in, in Columbia, South Carolina, and I had high hopes and high intentions. But I was literally six months into my job, and I had already applied with Delta Airlines to be an airline stewardess. For real. Six months into my job, and I was wanting to quit. <laughs> I was like, the exit ramp there, you know? I mean, and, and somehow I found myself you know, there in the church, the thing I had, had studied for, the position I had applied to and accepted, and I was discouraged, I was alone, I lacked vision, my passion was dying, there was no evidence of life change around me, and I was wanting out of there. I remember so much, Jim, and you've probably experienced this too, students that called back to me when I, when I was working here, and they would say, I don't know what to do. I'm going, what, what's going on? They go, I, I am miserable, and I want to quit. I'm going, have you heard of Delta Airlines? <laughs> Thank God they didn't hire me. Thank God he knew, I have a deal for you, Helen. If you won't quit, if you will press on towards the goal, I have got something for you. There will be a voice, I promise you. I promise you that tells you to quit. And when you do, I hope maybe you'll remember this moment and this encouragement from me. Don't quit. Don't quit. Press on towards the prize, the upward call. When you feel like throwing in the towel, get down on your knees with a towel and get back to the deal. The cross, what Jesus did for you, and let it propel you forward towards a prize. Number two, press through task and press on towards people. If you're going to live the deal, you're going to have to make a commitment in life and in ministry to press through task and press on towards people. You press through the task of ministry and towards what real ministry is all about, my friend. And it is all about people. That was Jesus. 
Luke 19.10, you know it. His mission statement, to seek and to save the lost, Jesus said. That's why I've come. I know I've come to heal and to set free. I know I've come to do this thing called die and resurrect, but it's all for the purpose to seek and to save the lost. And that has to be our mission. And I promise you, task will get in the way of that. I don't remember all my classes. I'm glad to see some of my seminary professors aren't here or have gone on to be with Jesus. Um, that's what we all want to do someday. But uh, I, I don't remember lots of, lots of what happened in my seminary classes. But I remember uh, my first semester taking a class with Dr. Robert Coleman, Master Plan of Evangelism. Maybe we still use that text. He still lives here in Wilmore. An amazing guy. And, and, and if, you were, if you remember, I came from the University of Tennessee. I had no Christian education at all. Now, the Holy Spirit had really discipled me and really met me in amazing ways, but no Christian education. I failed New Testament survey, had to take that little class. Old Testament survey, had to take that class too. And I thought I was doing really, really good when I was in church history class my first semester and they started talking about Martin Luther. I'm going, there's someone I know, Martin Luther King. No, I had a lot to learn. So, so Dr. Coleman's class is on evangelism, and, and I was really excited about this, and he really believed that evangelism was more than something you study. It is something you do. And so we had practicums, and one of the practicums was an opportunity to go street evangelizing with him in Lexington. And I signed up, and I was out there. Now, at the time, there were, there were 80 women and 800 men at the seminary. My father questioned my calling to Asbury Seminary, but uh, so it was me and a bunch of guys, and we head down to, to Lexington, and Dr. Coleman hands me a bullhorn on a street corner to preach. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but that gives me sweaty pits. I mean, I was going, are you serious? I have nothing prepared, except you see, when I was 12 years old, on that folding metal chair, and Jesus met me in a real way, I got up from my chair, and I ran out of that room after I met him face to face and understood in my heart the power of his forgiveness. And I ran and I found Jane Ann, my best friend, and within two hours I had led her to Christ. It was something I was made for. It is something we were made for. And on that street corner in Lexington, what was birthed at 12 was reignited at 22. Let me tell you something, that flame will go out so fast if you don't kindle it. It is so much easier to talk to people who know God about God than to sit down with Nick. Nick I met at, at a recovery ministry, and, and just let me tell you something. He scared me. I, I asked him, I said, how many tattoos do you have? He said, one. And literally, he did from head to toe. But as I got to hear his story and to share the good news of what Christ did on the cross and watch Nick there bow his head and receive the freedom and forgiveness, that empowers me. That's a deal I want to give my life to. 
as I sat across from Sharon, whose husband was a doctor practicing with my husband, who it took all the courage in the world after being at a party at their house to walk back in and say, hey, Sharon, I don't know if you all go to church, but I'm actually going to be speaking. I wonder if, if you'd like to come. Watching Sharon on the journey of understanding what it meant to live for something so much more than a big house. And praying across from her as she said, you know what I feel like, Helen? I feel like I've got one foot here with God and one foot here in the world. And I'm getting split up the middle. I said, Sharon, how about today you become a two-foot follower of Jesus? And she did. Or to stand out in the Fayette Mall parking lot with my brother, who I had prayed for for years to come to know Christ. And one New Year's Eve afternoon in that parking lot before he was going to get on a plane that night, there my brother and I leading him to have a relationship with Christ. Listen, there is nothing like that deal, but if you let task overcome your world, you will not give your life for the thing Christ gave his life for. And that is the lost. That is the lost. I, I remember in, in, in this chapel, Dr. Tom Skinner preaching. And I believe he was here maybe years ago. Has he been here since you've been here? Well, you would remember because he is the one chapel person I remember. And I remember as he stood here and he said to us, listen, church, we are called to be the light. Do you remember this, Tom? Do you remember him? We are called to be the light. The problem today is the church is a bunch of flashlights running around in the noonday sun. And the only place light makes any impact is in the darkness. Are you being the light? And I'm asking you that now. Where, where, are you, where are you bumping up against the dark, seminary student? Are you getting the heck out of Wilmore? Because you need to. There's tons of light here. You are so needed in this city and the cities around here now to reach the lost. Come join me. I've got a place right beside me with Nick's and with Sharon's. But if you settle for task, you will never step towards people. Number three, press through influence and press on towards integrity. You're going to live the deal that God's inviting us to, to the upward call of the prize in Christ Jesus. You will have to in ministry. Press through influence and press on towards integrity. You are here because you are training. Welcome to training camp. You're being trained for a battle. You are here because you are in training to become a leader, to lead something. You will all lead something. Do you know what the primary role of a leader is? It's influence. But the primary call of a leader is integrity. Don't ever forget that, please. It is so costly to forget that. 
The primary role of a leader is influence, but the primary call of the leader is integrity. Andy Stanley says, your accomplishments as a leader will make your name known. Your character will determine what people associate with your name. 2014 was the most painful ministry year in my life. The most painful. I could have used a class at that time called Holy Crap and how to deal with it when it hit the fan. It was that kind of year. I watched and lived the fallout of someone who forgot that the call was integrity, not the striving for influence. I watched my lead pastor become intoxicated by a drug called influence. And I'm telling you something, friends, it is very intoxicating. And it will lead you to the sin of compromise. Some of you are very talented very talented, in and of yourself, without Jesus. You are very talented. Let me say to you, influence may begin with gifting, but it is sustained by integrity. Never sacrifice your integrity for influence, ever. Character will determine your legacy. What do you want yours to be? It begins now, today. So, number four, press through compromise and press on toward complete surrender. Press through compromise and press on toward complete surrender. I um, was working on my sermon for you all, and I, was, I decided to join in with you in worship yesterday just to kind of hear what was happening before I was stepping up. Stepping up. Is Taylor here? Hey, Taylor. Hey, Taylor. Taylor. Don't be shy about, don't be shy about um, me talking to you, okay? Um, I listened, and I know what it's like to stand right here and do what you did. I did it 12 years ago. 12 years ago, I stood at this pulpit and to this room and introduced myself in a way I had never introduced myself before. I said, hi, my name's Helen, and I'm an alcoholic. See, I had for years compromised. I thought somewhere in the call, in the deal, God would make deals with me. You know, can't I just have this one little thing can I just have this one little pressure? 
Do you understand that when you gave your life to Christ, you made a commitment to him, but he made a commitment to you? And James 4 says he is jealous over you. He doesn't want to share you with anything or with anyone. And compromise is sharing. And I was compromising my integrity with a quick fix, a, a quick numbing. What is it for you? Listen, the enemy knows he cannot take your salvation from you. So you know what he works awfully hard at doing? Taking the impact of your salvation through you. And if he can get you to compromise, to give over ground of your heart, your integrity, he has you. I love that I serve a God who came into my church last week, last year, and flipped tables. I love it. I want to serve that kind of God who says, boom, not in my house you don't. I want to serve a kind of God that looks at me and says, uh-uh, Helen, I love you too much to allow you to compromise and share your heart with lesser idols. You gave me your whole heart. That's the deal. I love a God like that. You push through compromise into total surrender, and I promise you on the other side is redemption. That's what you experienced a little bit of yesterday, Taylor, a little redemption for the hard, silent work that only you and the Holy Spirit could do. A little bit of redemption to give courage to others to step forward like Derek just prayed for us before I stood up. And you press on through compromise, and eventually you'll get to redemption. It's really, really strange, and I'm sure this isn't theologically completely correct, but go with me for just a minute. It's as if that sin that you were a part of was somehow part of God's plan in your life. It can't be, because it's sin. He doesn't ever authorize that. He doesn't ever will that on us, evil and sin. But when you take that, whatever it is, and surrender it completely one day at a time to the cross and to his purifying work, sanctifying work, do you know what happens? He uses that thing that brought you so much shame at one time for so much glory and so much honor. That's what he does with it. You are being robbed if you keep it a secret. The kingdom is actually being robbed because the enemy, when you bring it into the light, do the real work that real recovery requires, do you know what? The enemy wishes he hadn't messed with you back there because it has such an impact for the kingdom, but you've got to push through. You cannot compromise. I can't believe what God has done in my life. 20 years now I celebrated this month living one day at a time sober. 20 years. And I wouldn't trade that deal of sobriety one day at a time for anything because of the impact of it. Every Thursday night, leading hundreds of people in a ministry called The Mat, based on Mark chapter 4, four, four men carried a paralyzed man on a mat, couldn't get to Jesus seeing hundreds of people find freedom in all areas of their life. That's redemption, and you've got to do the work. Real freedom takes real work. 
Are you doing the real work? Do it now. Push through. Because at the end, there is a prize. You know, Ed Piper had it right. He had it right. What a deal. Seriously, what a deal. Our life in Christ, a life given to people to find the deal, to live the deal, the deal. Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so I will with you, will you with me, press on toward the prize of the call that will always take you upward, closer and closer, so that heaven becomes nearer and nearer, and it is less of a surprise someday when we get there. Because the kingdom of God has become the kingdom on earth that we experience. What a freaking deal. What a deal. Will you pray with me, please?